Welcome to the Cyber Rants Podcast, where we're all about sharing the forbidden secrets and slightly embellished truths about corporate cybersecurity programs. We're ranting, we're raving, and we're telling you the stuff that nobody talks about on their fancy website and trade show giveaways, all to protect you from cyber criminals. And now, here's your hosts, Mike Rotondo, Zach Fuller, and Lauro Chavez. Hello and welcome to the Cyber Ants Podcast. This is your co-host, Zach Fuller, joined by Mike Rotondo and Laro Chavez. Have a good episode today. A variety of topics. We're going to just go on to see where it goes. And there's some interesting stuff in the news as well. Mike, you want to kick us off? Let's start out the news with a very critical story. Uh, Ferrari apparently got hacked ransomware. Doesn't matter. I still can't afford one. Now back to real news. Uh, the first 72 hours of an incident response critical to taming cyber attack chaos. Uh, cybersecurity professionals tasked with responding to attacks experience stress, burnout, and mental health issues that are exacerbated by a lack of breach preparedness and sufficient incident response practice in their organizations. A new IBM security-sponsored survey published this week found that two-thirds of incident responders suffer stress and anxiety during at least some of their engagements, while 44% have sacrificed the well-being of their relationships and 42% have suffered burnout. According to a survey conducted by Morning Consult, in addition, 68% of incident responders often have to work on two or more incidents at the same time, increasing their stress, according to the survey's results. Companies that plan and practice responding to a variety of incidents can lower the stress levels of their incident responders, employees, and executives. Silent Sector recommends IR tabletop exercises quarterly, uh, also recommend that you quit whining about doing your job. BEC attacks. Most victims aren't using multi-factor authentication. Apply it now. Stay safe. Uh, business email compromised scammers are gaining access to real accounts that they're using to dupe victims into sending payments. There's been a big rise in business email compromise attacks, and most victims work on organizations that weren't using multi-factor authentication to secure their accounts. BEC attacks are one of the most lucrative forms of cybercrime, according to the FBI. The combined total loss is $43 billion and counting for this year. Attacks reported in at least 177 countries. That's pretty much every place there's a computer. These attacks are relatively simple for cyber criminals to carry out. All they need is access to an email account and some patience as they try to trick their victims into making financial transfers under false pretenses. This commonly involves sending messages to employees purportedly from their boss or a colleague that suggests a payment, often very large, must be made quickly in order to secure an important business deal. It's a known commodity that scammers monitor inboxes for a long period of time, only choosing to strike when a real business transaction is about to be made, at which point they cut in and direct the payment to their account. There's a common theme among these, among these victims, and that is that they don't have MFA in place. So I guess the point of that article is uh, get MFA in place. Of course, then you're subject to MFA fatigue. So well, figure something out. And they can, they, we've seen lots of MFA bypasses on Office 365 as well. So, yeah, right. unfortunately, it helps, but not the yeah, end yeah. all. You need, you need to be using a, a pin, a rotating pin based app for your, yeah. for your MFA. An authenticator guy up like Norton or Google or one of those, yeah. Hundreds of Microsoft SQL servers backdoored with new malware. Big surprise. Security researchers have found a new piece of malware targeting Microsoft SQL servers named Maggie. Uh, the backdoor has already affected hundreds of machines all over the world. Maggie is controlled through SQL queries that instructed to run commands, interact with files. Its capabilities extend to brute forcing administrative logins to other Microsoft SQL servers and doubling as a bridgehead into the server's network environment. 
Telemetry data shows that Maggie is more prevalent in South Korea, India, Vietnam, China, Russia, Thailand, Germany, and the United States. Microsoft updates mitigation for Exchange Zero Server Zero Days. Oh, about a week ago, there was a big uh, zero day that happened. Microsoft came out with a remediation. Now they're updating it uh, because they proved that the uh, research proved the remediation didn't work. Researchers had discovered that Microsoft's original mitigation steps for the so-called proxy not shell flaws was easily bypassed. Microsoft today updated its mitigation measures for two recently disclosed and actively exploited zero day vulnerabilities in exchange server technology. After researchers found its initial guidance could be easily bypassed, Microsoft's original mitigation for the two vulnerabilities, CVE 2022-41040, and CVE 2022-41082 was to apply a blocking rule to a specific UR path using the URL rewrite module on IIS server. Um, they were asked you to add a string of content. I'm not gonna go into, read the article. It's very important to know if you've got an exchange. We, we've sent it out to all of our on-prem exchange people. So, uh, but it's an important important thing to look at. There's basically what it came down to is that the code they asked you to put in was easily bypassed. FBI cyber attacks targeting election systems unlikely to affect results. You know, it's election series, so election time. So the FBI has come out with, in, in uh, conjunction with CISA in a public service announcement that says that cyber activity attempting to compromise election infrastructure is unlikely to cause a massive disruption or prevent voting. The FBI and, the CISA, and CISA assessed the associated risks over time and neither agency has seen evidence of malicious interference having any measurable impact. As of the date of this report, the FBI and CISA have no reporting to suggest cybersecurity has ever prevented a registered voter from casting a ballot, compromised the integrity of any ballots cast, or affected the accuracy of voter registration. No mixer dropper delivers a multi-ware, multi-malware code bomb. This is actually really interesting. In one shot, there's a Trojan called No Mixer. Null Mixer installs a suite of downloaders, banking Trojans, stealers, and spyware on victims' systems. It's only after a user clicks on a malicious link, downloads the malware, and then launches it that Null Mixer is deployed. But once the dropper infects the victim's system, it deploys multiple strains of malware from spyware to Trojans. The multi-hyphenated malware threat lurks among sites promising licensed software workarounds and fake security key generators, according to Kaspersky. The malicious domains appear legitimate to users because those sites have found their way up to the first page of Google search rankings for keywords like crack software and keygen using advanced CO search engine optimization tools. Kaspersky said, unfortunately, it's not just home users at risk. Thanks to the work from home phenomenon and people using personal devices for work purposes, the danger to companies from these kinds of threats is clear and present. Uh, it's even more justification, this is a silent sector comment, to lock down even BYOD devices with some sort of endpoint controls. A couple key headlines, RDP attacks declined 89% in eight months, which is a big surprise. Uh, there are a bunch of defense organization hacks going on. There's some healthcare hacks that happened. Um, APIs are back in the news. And again, Ferrari was hacked, but I still can't afford one, so it doesn't matter. Laura? Yeah, I was really hoping that that Ferrari hack would uh, help us, you know, be able to afford a Ferrari. <laughs> Hey, I mean, you know, you just got to give up $40 cigars and $150 bottles of scotch, right? And Gross. Who drinks $150 bottles of scotch? That's disgusting. Well, one of us on this feed does. No, I mean, like, yeah. if, if it's not four or $500 a bottle, like, oh, you know, oh I see. Yeah. yeah, right, right. Uh, that just a mere, mere peasantry. Yeah, the peasantry, <laughs> my palate. My palette is so sophisticated, it needs $250 whiskey. 
<laughs> no, I think the the bottom shelf is uh, no. I don't. It's got to be better than the plastic bottles, right? You can't go that, that far, but uh, you can't I, put scotch. You can't put scotch in plastic. Give me a break. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> that, that would never, that would be that would be horrific. I a, mean, a while ago, they came out with canned scotch. Uh, oh. <laughs> that might be okay. <laughs> Needless to say, that didn't last long either. It's, uh, you know, for the scotch can't, scotch drinker that wants to throw something into his cooler when he goes fishing. <laughs> uh, hey, God. the glass bottles work just fine in a cooler too. <laughs> so. That's why plastic is such a great idea. You get drunk, you don't break anything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, back to cybersecurity. Laura, you have any... Any news, anything going on in the world? There's there's always stuff going on in the world of exploits. However, interesting trend. I'm I'm seeing a downtrend in the uh, creation of new exploit payload codes uh, from from the community. Uh, I don't know. I've I've kind of watched this sort of downturn happen over the course of the summer, and now we're just not seeing as many exploits pushed to the uh, public space. So that could be a couple reasons. Um, maybe a lot of them got conscripted in Russia. Uh, maybe some of them are saving some of the more more uh, serious attacks for the holiday season. And you know, maybe they uh, they figured out that uh, doing this for free doesn't get you any closer to the goals that you have in life. So there may be uh, some of these these authors are moving to the marketplace on the dark market to get a little money or do bug bounties versus putting these out for the public consumption. However, there's still exploits to talk about. And I'm going to do something that I don't normally do. I'm going to talk about WordPress. So I'm going to have to wash my mouth out with, with some very cheap, very high grained, very plastic bottle scotch after I talk about this, this topic here. However, those of you who like to ride the danger zone, danger zone, WordPress, Danger Zone. There have been over 75 exploit successful exploit payloads written just this year for your free open source community where driven WordPress. So if you are still liking to live on the edge and live dangerously, you know, just use random needles on the street for your for your purposes, um, be careful out there because there are quite a few new WordPress plug-in vulnerability exploits this week, a lot of them with SQL I and remote code execution. So uh, both very, very bad, I guess, uh, vulnerability uh, attack surfaces for you to have. Um, SQL I is gonna allow the attacker to pull data out of your database or even eject data into that database and remote code execution is going to allow that code to execute remotely as part of the weaknesses in your WordPress deployment. Not anything to your fault. WordPress is just crap. It's, you know, it's not anybody's fault. It is what it is. But I want to take the conversation just a little further and talk about something that uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to give Mike the congrats of this for pushing this my way. Uh, because I don't like to talk about WordPress. I want to point out that there is a very big news article out this week about the solar marker uh, group. Okay, this is a this is an advanced persistent threat group called Solar Marker. They have been creating a watering hole for all of the vulnerable WordPress sites out there. What that means is that they go out, they find the fact that you're a clown and you're running WordPress. They're gonna they're gonna find a vulnerable exploit 
and they're going to attach to that. So what a watering hole attack is, is, is everybody uh, that doesn't know is the, uh, the cyber attack group, solar markers going out, they're finding all the clowns that have put up WordPress sites that are vulnerable. They're taking advantage of those vulnerabilities and they're setting up hidden traps for visitors that they're going to lure essentially to the watering hole. Think of the alligator in the watering hole and you're the antelope and you're coming up and you're innocent. And you're just trying to get a drink of water to start your day off. And automatically the alligator chooses violence. That is how they wake up. And this is the exact same thing. You're going to go to one of these WordPress sites. And in order for you to view the WordPress site, the WordPress site's going to say, Hey, you need a new Chrome update, or you need to install this Firefox update, or you need to install this edge update. And the moment you do that, now you've you've been um you have been sabotaged uh, my friends so keep in mind there is this water hole attack going on if you are crazy enough to run wordpress please check your plugins please check your versioning and make sure that you're not running one of the highly vulnerable versions of wordpress core and if you are try to upgrade it to the next slightly less but still highly vulnerable wordpress core all right, Zach, that's probably enough about the yeah. WordPress uh, stuff <laughs> wow. today. I'm sad that I got to tell people this, but if you haven't heard it before, hopefully you heard it this time. Yep. Uh, if this is your first Cyber Rants episode, there have been a few others previous to this that also mentioned a thing or two about WordPress just because of the prevalence of exploits. That being said, we're going to take a quick commercial break right back in want even more cyber rants be sure to subscribe to the cyber rants podcast get your copy of our best-selling book cyber rants on amazon today this podcast is brought to you by silent sector the firm dedicated to building world-class cybersecurity programs for mid-market and emerging companies across the u.s silent sector also provides industry-leading penetration tests and cyber risk assessments visit silentsector.com and contact us today and we're back with the cyber rants podcast today i've been thinking about a career in cybersecurity. I'm wondering if I should get into the cybersecurity field. And um, it seems like there are a lot of people asking the same question. So, of course, I'm being, I'm joking, right? Of course, already in this business full time, but there are a lot of people. I think, I don't know what it is. If it's a time of year, people are starting to think about their future, uh, whatever the case may be, but um, especially young people, high school, college, are reaching out to ask, how do I get into cybersecurity? I really like tech. I, I'm interested in this stuff. What do I do? And I always, always take the time to talk with them. I'm always happy to jump on a quick call, right? Help people out. People have certainly helped me through throughout my career and I'd love to return the favor, but I thought it'd be good if we could just turn this in a podcast, right? And we've talked about it in a couple previous episodes, but there's always new stuff happening and things going on. So first of all, Question comes to mind. How do you think about getting into cybersecurity first? By do you, do you really want to get into cybersecurity? What are some of the pros and cons they should think about when they're going into this field? Well, based on that article from IBM that I read at the top of the news, uh, can you handle stress? Um, when there's an incident that happens, it is a stressful occasion. Um, can you think strategically? Do you like puzzles? Do you like challenges? Do you like to solve problems? Can you write? If the answer to any of those is no, then cybersecurity may not be for you. 
And that's well, kind of my yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to say I disagree with you, Mike. It's um, I'll say this. I'll say that there's a steep, you know, for and and like you, Zach, I I tend to take on a couple interns a year. Uh, for those that don't know, is is part of a, a, a philanthropy, if you will, uh, to try to teach and guide the next generation of, of cybersecurity practitioners, because we, we do have a shortage of that in this country. And if you go to any of the job sites, you'll notice very quickly that there's approaching 800,000 open positions in cybersecurity today, none of which can be really filled. Um, and so, you, you, you know, like you said, Zach, you have a lot of, of these, you know, new, new fresh minds that are coming out of high school and college. Um, they're seeing that Mike and I are, you know, working from home. We're working from pretty much wherever we want. And this is probably consistent with other cybersecurity professionals too. Some of you probably have a, a in-office requirement part-time, but a lot of this work can be done remote. You really have a, a nice flexibility of, of work and personal life. Um, but like, like you said, Mike, it, it, there's a lot of puzzle. There's a lot of strategy required here. Um, there's a lot of stress that's required in this job field. Um, there is a steep learning curve and I want to harp on what Mike said, writing your technical, your, your ability to write technical documents is very important because it doesn't matter if you're putting in a trouble ticket. A lot of the documentation that a cyber practitioner may be doing would be entering the results from one of these incidents that Mike was just asking if you can handle stress. Some, that's the reason you're there. Okay. Think of yourself as the paramedic or the first responder. You're the first responder for the IT team, you're also the first blamed. So if anything goes wrong in IT, you're gonna have to defend your honor and let them know that you weren't doing any scanning or pen testing while things went down. But the stress for the job sometimes can be very high. Um, I hate to say it, but there are some organizations that still don't uh, see the true benefit in cybersecurity and the practitioners they hired. And you can you can have lots of great ideas and um, be met with with resistance at the leadership level. But the one ingredient that I will say that is necessary for you to be successful in this field is passion. And I don't care what Mike said and what I said, if you're passionate about this field, you're gonna be successful. Um, one thing I will say is that the, the, the self-study and the continued education for yourself as a practitioner is very high. The demand is very high. Yeah, absolutely. That's well said. And I think that's, that's true in any field. There are different schools of thought of do you pursue passion versus uh, strictly looking at problems to solve regardless of the level of passion? I think in this business, I mean, there are people that are uh, the probably the most successful people are the ones that just would do this without getting paid. Right. They, they love this stuff. Uh, one thing I would add is there are so many facets of cybersecurity, right? It's not, it's not just pen testing as a lot of, courses would teach you, right? That's a component of it, but there are all kinds of different requirements. And one of the things I've been, I've been telling people as I, as I talk to people that are getting started in this career, young people or people changing careers is think about what you really like to do. You know, would, do you, do you like to really just get in to the weeds of the technology? Do you want to be interacting with the machines all day, every day? Or do you more, do you like to get out more, socialize a little bit? Do you, do you like that side of it? What do you like to get deep into reading or things like rules and regulations? Uh, something that you absorb naturally? Think about who you are as a person, right? Because there's so many aspects of cybersecurity. Chances are there's a, a niche that you can fit into that will suit your personality. 
don't try to put a square peg in a round hole and say, well, you know, I really hate dealing with people. I want to just be in the technical pieces all day, every day, as much as I can. Don't go out and be a sales rep, outside sales rep for an organization, right? Those two are not going to fit. They're not going to be congruent. So think through that and what your natural tendencies are. I think that'll take you a long way in determining your path. Yeah, so what's been happening lately is that I've, I've gotten, I've done some mock interviews with some high school students um, that want to get into cybersecurity. And I've been talking to some people that are, that are going to be graduating with CIS degrees lately. And, and there's very big um, misnomer out there that you have to have a CIS degree to be in cybersecurity. And that's one of the things that really, it bothered me. I have a degree in history. So I don't have a degree. I'm a college yeah. dropout just for everybody out there that listens. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, the, the, the CIS degree, that's nice. It teaches you theory. You're, you're about two to three years behind. You're about, you're better off taking the CompTIA certs and taking an internship and an entry level job. And by the time you would have finished your CIS degree, you got four years of actual evidence, uh, actual work under your belt, actual experience. And I think that's far more valuable. Um, I think you really only need a degree if you want to get into management. And who likes management? Um, yeah, you want to be you want to, you want to be a CISO or a director or something like that. But if you know, uh, if you want to do cybersecurity and stay in the weeds and stay doing exploits and stay doing pen tests and stay doing real world cybersecurity instead of going into management, you don't necessarily need a CIS degree. Again, I'm not saying you know anything bad about college. If you want to go to college, go to college. If you want the education, get the education. But don't go spend two hundred thousand dollars on a degree when you can very easily spend five thousand dollars on multiple certifications and start a job making forty, fifty thousand dollars a year right away. And that's yeah. just my thinking on the subject. You know, um, that's good thinking. And I don't want to cause like a like an atomic shell to drop here, but you don't need a cybersecurity degree undergrad degree to get working in cybersecurity now that the colleges may not like that but that's the absolute truth i think mike hit it right on the head you if you want to get a degree get a degree but and to get into this field it's it's more practical use of talent so if you if you've got certifications that prove that you have a practical use um, that's going to go a lot further than a degree i need individuals that can come in you know for from our perspective and you know mike you can you know feed in here I don't care if you have a degree. I need to know, can you do the job? Your degree is completely as irrelevant to me as of what color shoes you like to wear. Exactly. Um, you know, my, my question is, can you walk from point A to point B? Not, I don't care about your shoes. None of that matters. Um, can you do the work? So from our perspective, it's very, you know, demonstrate it, demonstrate your, your talents, not do you look good on paper? Um, and, and to kind of go off of what Zach was saying, I think we can kind of divide cybersecurity into maybe two pieces for everybody. I think there's the technical side of it, and then there's the what I consider to be the business side of it, which is where your compliance and governance and, and things come in at, because there are certainly non-technical jobs in the cybersecurity field. Um, governance compliance is one of those areas that, you know, like Mike said, or Zach said, if you like to, if you like to write and, and you like to read and you like to do... Um, I mean, really what it is, 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 um, uh, it's reading comprehension. It's reading comprehension and applying that to a technical state. And so you can work with your technical people as a compliance governance practitioner in cybersecurity to make the organization reduce risk without ever having to actually touch a windows or a WordPress site in your whole life. 
Yeah, you know, if you can do that, if you can, you know, definitely write on there. There's a lot of non-technical work in cybersecurity, uh, especially on the compliant, compliance realm, being, you know, SOC 2, uh, HIPAA, PCI, that sort of thing. But if you can bridge that gap where you can write and be technical and you can comprehend compliance, then you're pretty well set up. So if you can do all of those, um, definitely, <laughs> definitely one of those things. And I just want to share an anecdote from my past in 2008. That was a, a year, like 13 years ago, for those of you who are too young to remember that, um, or were in high school at the time. Um, anyway, we had a big economic downturn. And the reason all my friends that were managers and directors in IT lost their jobs, a lot of them. I kept working because I didn't never went into management. I never was a director. I never did. I never, well, I, I did eventually, but um, I was technical. I was an operator. I kept my job, kept working, never had an economic downturn. So um, just one thing to keep in mind. So. There's a wise part in our book, the Cyber Rants book, page 66, ancient infosec proverb. And it goes like this. When one is eager to learn, no obstacle or task is too mundane or challenging to overcome even PCI compliance. So <laughs> nice. if you're looking for some tips, the book is full of words of wisdom. And to dovetail on what you said, Mike, I've been telling a lot of people, hey, if you wanna get a leg up on other people that you're around, your peers also trying to get into the cybersecurity market, I was about to say break in, but it's almost not like that. I've seen people with little to no experience just get scooped up. It's like, hey, you're interested? You're on, we'll train you on the job. So it's not, first of all, know that there's opportunity out there for you. Second of all, if you really want to have your pick of the job, start to figure out also what industries interest you. Maybe it's healthcare, maybe it's finance, maybe it's defense work, whatever that is, and learn the compliance requirements of that specific industry. Now, when you go into a job, you're not just saying, hey, yeah, I took this network plus course and this security plus course, or I'm really interested in this part of cybersecurity. You could say, yeah, I really am focused on this component of cybersecurity as it relates to your compliance requirements. You know, it, you might be interested in, I'm really interested in organizations in the healthcare industry. I've studied HIPAA compliance, right? I understand it and I really want to find a role that's a good fit uh, and, and use, of, use of my understanding of, of both the technical side and the compliance side. So that can, will, will help you get into places a little bit easier, I think, because you're speaking their language now. And we see it as cybersecurity services providers, right? Even though we are fairly industry agnostic, I mean, there are industries that we work with more regularly than others, but the principles apply across the board. The fact of the matter is, though, those people in those specific industries, that's what they relate to. They want to make sure you're speaking their language. You understand the nuances of their business and how it operates and how their customers think. So start to learn that as well. And that's easy to do. That's free. Go online. Start to look at the requirements. Read the PDFs. Download the files. It's, it's, all, it's all there for you. And one other thing that I'll point out that's online is NIST put together a, a guide for you. And it's, it's all free. It's called the National Institute for Cybersecurity Education, or NICE. So you could just look up NIST NICE. 
and it has uh, courses and different job descriptions and all kinds of things you can go look through and find out what's of interest. Maybe list your top five and then boil it down from there and then go out and use your local community, right? Use LinkedIn, get on LinkedIn, start a LinkedIn profile if you don't have one and connect with tech leaders, right? Most successful people in the tech world, well, really in any profession, I believe, most of them had had help along the way. Well, they probably all had help along the way, but most of them are willing to help you as well. Connect on LinkedIn with a CIO, with a IT director, with a security director, whoever it is, and say, hey, this is me, uh, really fascinated in your business and what you do. Would you have 15 minutes to, t to chat? And then that establishes the introduction. From there, you can start to feel it out. Well, hey, maybe they even have opportunities. Don't just go asking for an internship. Just ask for a connection. Ask for their advice. And you'd be surprised how things might just materialize out of that. And all of a sudden, maybe roles or opportunities that weren't available before suddenly become available. That's my rant. Yeah, I think, I think the internship is a big deal. And I'm surprised in talking to some of the college kids that I've talked to, the colleges are not helping place those kids um, in their senior year into an internship. Like, you know, law schools place law students into law firms. I would think that the colleges would want to reach out and say, hey, you know, company XYZ, do you want to take a couple of our interns uh, for college credit, you know, and, and you can train them. Um, I mean, I, I would think that'd be a very viable option. And I think that's something that we, and we've talked about here at Sound Sector, working out with a couple of colleges to do some interns and, and maybe that more of that will come out in 2023. But um, yeah, I mean, the internship's key. Uh, one of the things you have to have relax, realistic expe expectation of the hours you're going to work in cybersecurity. Uh, with one of the high school kids I was interviewing, I said, expect to work more like 50, 60 hours a week. And his eyes turned into saucers and didn't realize that there's more than 40 hours in a work week. Uh, so just have that realistic expect expectation, especially if you're going to go to like an Amazon or something like that. They're going to work you hard. Um, and, and you just got to expect that. But um, yeah, and expect not being be like the, yeah, you know, you're probably not going to be the one person on the team. You're not going to be the security person. You're going to be a part of a greater team doing a very specific, uh, a very specific task within your realm of, of responsibility. Uh, I got a good personal story to share. Um, met a guy, uh, his name was Ken. He's got a, a, a son named Keith. Uh, Keith is tried going to college keith is uh 20 years old okay keith's 20. keith tried to go to college a couple times dropped out didn't really know what he wanted to do um you know you can throw the adhd asperger whatever term you want in there right that, that makes it applicable it doesn't matter this is a person that is you know challenged by crowds challenged by public speaking anyways was trying to find their way in life and so i i met the father and and you know through a short conversation he was like hey is there any way that you can talk to my son about about what you do and, and about maybe you know, some goals for him and, and some places to point him? Well, um, Keith had already taken his, um, uh, I'm sorry, his A-plus course. So for those of you practitioners out there, probably know what A-plus is, but CompTIA puts together uh, a two-part fundamental course, all right? There's A-plus, it's in two parts. There's the hardware part of the A-plus course, and then there's the software part of the A plus course, right? That goes over operating system management and that sort of thing. Well, 
uh, Keith had finished his hardware. He had failed the software, the, 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 the pretest and was frustrated. And so I, you know, spent about not long, about 45 minutes talking to Keith and Keith, I told him, I was like, you know, go back and take the software part of this. It's a, the A plus is a very good fundamental course. It lets everybody know that you understand fundamental computing on classic computers today. Take the course. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not the most expensive course and it's not the most prestigious, but it is certainly a good, a good baseline. And I said, when you're done with that, take security plus It's like, you'll be right in line for taking security plus another comp TIA course. So for those of you listening to this conversation out there, that want to get into this, into this work, a plus security plus from comp TIA are two great places to start that are not hard. Okay. So Keith fast forward, I just got the text from Keith yesterday. Okay, this is so. This is breaking news. He texts me. Well, so about about three weeks ago, he texts me. Maybe it's a month, and he's like, "Hey, I finished. I got my certification for A plus on hardware and software." And I was like, "Awesome, that's great." And he's like, "I'm working on my security plus." So then, about you know, about a week ago, he texts me. I, I got my security plus, and I was like, "Dude, that's fantastic!" And so today, or yesterday rather, he texts me, and he's like, "I just got a job at my local telco." Uh, he lives in Oregon, and so um, you know they have a local. It's not AT and T or Verizon, right? They have a local telco that hired him on as a security analyst. And, and this guy's, you know, again, Keith's no experience, twenty years old, he's got two certs, three certs under his belt, uh, and a love for the job. And now he's working as a tech slash. It's a dual role, cybersecurity analyst for the local telco, reviewing logs from firewalls. Uh, making trouble tickets, things like that as part of those incidents that they see and just super excited to reach out to me last night and was like, thank you so much um, for the advice. And I didn't really do anything but just say, you go that way. That's that's the way to town. Just follow the road. Um, but it's really, it's really nice to see that these individuals with just a little determination, right, and just a little bit of drive can go out and not have any college degrees and take a couple certs and now they're they're having they have a good job they have a future at this telco you know it might not be 150 dollars an hour that you're looking for but you're not going to get that immediately unless you can just write exploit code on the fly to begin with right and so to, to start out at 20 or 25 or 30 dollars an hour that's fantastic um especially when all of your peers are working in retail or something of the, of the likes right or that was your other options so um, stay positive. Um, if this is the field that you like, stay interested and look at, you know, like Zach said, look at the NIST NICE and check out CompTIA uh, for some of their uh, study stuff. And uh, there are a lot of their, a lot of their things are free as well. Yeah, there's so ahead. many. I, oh, go ahead. I was going to say there's so many free resources out there online just with what you can get out of YouTube. It's amazing. But um, look at Cyberary as well. Uh, they're just a just an immense number of of opportunities out there, and then also look around through your local community. If you're in any sizable city of any kind, they're going to have different cybersecurity groups, kind of clubs, organizations. You have things like ISSA. You um, you have different localized security conferences and forums. Try to go to those things and meet people, and you'd be amazed at the doors that'll open for you. Yeah, I was just going to say that ISACA also has a set of classes that you can take. They also have a hack lab um, and a training lab for cybersecurity. So you might check out ISACA as well. Um, it's I-S-A-C-A. -A, um, and look into that. So, I mean, there's a lot of opportunities out there. And I think part of the problem is why we have a shortage of IT security people is that there is this belief that you need this CIS degree, that you need this 
whatever, there's multiple ways in the cybersecurity industry. Um, going back to what Zach said at the top of this, I'm self-taught. Everything I had, I took classes at my own pace. I paid for them myself. No, nobody paid for my, my certifications but me. Um, so uh, starting way back when, when I got my MCSE for NT 4.0, and I'm sure some of you will have to look up what that actually is. Uh, so, uh, but uh, yeah, that that will drive you and make you more successful, just a passion for the job. So, Yeah, absolutely. And I don't want to kibosh on the colleges right now, because if, if you want to be in the technical aspect of this world, you know, try Hack Me, um, and there's a lot of online communities that will help you get your skills at using Metasploit Framework and other types of things like Cobalt Strike to deliver payloads and do um, technical assessments for clients. If you're going to look into a college program, check out their lab and make sure that the lab is not and the classes don't involve techniques um, that are more than 10 or 12 years old. Okay, because that's not going to help you when you get into the real world. Yeah, it's going to get you excited. It's going to give you a lot of cool stuff to play with in a lab. But when you come out into the real world, you're going to look at the attack surface and it's going to be completely different from what you're used to because you were playing on stuff from 10 or 12 years ago that was extremely vulnerable uh, with some of the new attacks. So they they kind of, I don't want to say they rig it, but they they kind of rig it to get you involved because you're using a modern style attack on a, on a deprecated operating system that's 10 years old. Of course, it's going to break in. Of course, it's going to look funny. You're going to be like, wow, this is so easy. And then when you get into the real world of, of technical assessment, pen testing, you're going to find out it is not a cakewalk. Um, there is nothing about it that's easy and there is nothing about it that is a plug-in and it works. So there is there is very, very, very small chance for that to happen. Um, we don't come across SQL injection, SQL injection vulnerabilities that are viable injection vulnerabilities very often at all. I think I've come across one good one in the last five years, right? So these things that they'll teach you um, or sometimes that you are taught in these institutions aren't relevant to the real world. So always compensate your school education with things like try hack me. Um, try to do some of the capture the flag activities that, that are out there and part of the community. Get on R hacking if you're a Redditard. Okay, get out there and do R hacking. Get in R cybersecurity. Start following these communities, and um, uh, they'll they'll kind of help you find these places where you can you can practice your skills and hone those things and, and sharpen your tool. Uh, but certainly be be very scrutinizing of educational institutions and their laboratories where they're going to try to teach you these things. Go well, hack a WordPress ones. site, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, um, don't do that. Don't if, do that. if their lab is made out of Windows 2003 servers and Windows XP boxes, then you probably don't want anything to do with them. Um, I know GCU, Grand Canyon University, had some good stuff. Um, Ohio State University, of course, is very excellent for multiple things, including the fact they're going to beat Michigan State this weekend. So I would highly look at, recommend looking into <laughs> them as well. Yeah, I'll just say that an OSU degree will like get you a job anywhere, anywhere. It doesn't matter if you went to the Fisher yeah. College of Business or not. Anything from yeah. OSU, I'm just kidding. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, just going back to degrees, I mean, it just kind of running down the streets. We, we have a project manager that has an agribusiness degree. Okay. He knows how to castrate sheep, but he's also technical. Uh, we have another project manager that has an accounting degree. I mean, it's, and they're both very technical people and they're technical project managers. But the degree really doesn't matter. It's the ability to understand and comprehend technology. And that's really yeah. what matters. It really does. They're they're really good at what they do because they really like what they do, our project managers. And uh, for me, like my, my degree was in management of information systems. I was going to XNA CIS. 
So I tried to go at Ohio State, <laughs> coincidentally, uh, at the Fisher College of Business, tried to go for management information systems. And, and personally, I just realized that at the time, you got to think this is in the, the early 2000s, because I'm old, um, that they didn't really have any relevant classes for me. Like I'd come out of the army, I was already doing this stuff. And so I was thinking, like many of you, I got to have a degree to get a job. And so I started to go down this track and just realized that a lot of classes I was given for my track were just completely bogus and had nothing to do with with my technical aptitude of any kind and so uh i got i got poached by a headhunter for lots of money right out of the army making no money so i was like school <laughs> who needs school i think you know it was like i felt like uh old uh what was his name in that movie show me the money with tom cruise and oh jerry mcguire <laughs> jerry mcguire yeah that's exactly that's what i that's all they needed to do was flash those dollar bills in front of me and i was like what college ohio state <laughs> Well, I think you can look at it two ways. You can say, is that a brute force attack or do you want fries with that? So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, well, you know, and, and so, uh, you know, I, I guess I can bring this up, right? So, you know, um, I don't know if I should bring this up. Okay, so my son has been practicing with me for probably the last six or seven years. Like I've always had him in the office going over these types of attacks. So now he's finally got a job in cybersecurity. Uh, and I'm very proud of him. And he's done just a really good job. Well, before, you know, he's seen, you know, dad go to the office, he's seen dad work from home. He didn't really know what he wanted to do. So he, he got a couple of retail jobs and, you know, he was making friends. And now he's quit his retail jobs and is, is dedicated fully to cybersecurity. And, and his peer group now is looking at his his like really obvious change in living standards and um, really, really uh, abrupt change in work-life balance. And they're saying, wow, how do I get into that? So he's kind of come to me. He's like, hey, dad, I've got a couple friends that they want to talk to me and maybe talk to you about how they get into cybersecurity too, because it's an attractive field when you see the practitioners that are working in it and how much they love their jobs. And, and don't get me wrong, it has its it has its tough times. It's stressful and when you're a, a security services organization like Silent Sector, we have we're not just dealing with one company, right? We have lots of lots of 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 things going on, right? So um, it's a little more stressful from that aspect. And even if you're just a practitioner in one organization, it can still be stressful. But everybody loves this job that's doing it, I think. And um, because if you don't like it, you're not going to do it. You're going to go you're going to go back to retail or go some other part of the business, marketing, sales, whatever. But everybody who's doing it really enjoys it, and they're—I think—they're really seeing the benefits that that the the work-life balance give them, and you know, to participate on the pen tests and um, or technical assessments and and find things make you feel like you're you know you're getting someplace in the world with with your skills, and so it's just interesting to see, uh, you know, from my own perspective, my son go from I don't know if I really want to do this. It's kind of it's kind of I don't know. I think I'm going to go work with my buddies to like yeah I'm never doing that again. I'm going to stick right here. With the technical aspect and now see you know the peer group starting to come in and say wow how do we get into this too so i think it's a very attractive uh field these days i think with eight hundred thousand open positions across the united states it's very easy to get a job with a certificate and no degree uh hence keith's proof on that um and so again if, if there's anything that we, we can do to help you and, and i don't think zach mentioned that but you reach out to us if you're listening to this song and you, or this song if you're listening to this track and you're singing along <laughs> sorry what are we doing again this is a podcast yeah but if you if you're hearing this and you have a son or a peer or a friend or that's interested in this reach out to us we're, we're always happy to talk at our at our convenience um we are busy but we will reach out to you 
Yeah, yeah, one thing I just well, want to bring up, too, is that there's multiple burnout points, key burnout points in cybersecurity. And the first one's at 18 months. The second one's at three years. And then it's at seven years. And if you make it past seven years, you're unfit to do anything else. So that's where you're at. <laughs> you, can, you can no longer integrate back into normal society after no, seven no. years in cybersecurity. You are, you're, you are cooked. You're done. You are now can only communicate with cybersecurity professionals exactly. that are right there with you. So, well, outstanding. And just know this is not this is not in any way a hit on college education. There are, there are tremendous benefits and different. Not things. at all. Well, yeah. So, I mean, it, don't don't think of it that way. Think, well, our point is that don't let not having that hold you back. Don't let not having anything hold you back. In fact, I love this industry because people can come from backgrounds of nothing. They can come from other countries and have had, you know, nothing to their name and actually get into this industry, find a good job, make a great living. This the American dream really does exist in the cybersecurity industry today. Not only that, but also building a business like we have, right? And and stepping out of that corporate world, stepping out of that org- organization where there's politics and all that stuff going on and build your own thing, right? So there's, there are tremendous opportunities here. It's a great business to be in. And uh, I, I didn't even know we would spend this much time on this topic today, but I'm glad we did. I hope this helps you. Please, if you like this podcast, share it with your friends, rate it, Subscribe, comment, send us a note at cyberrantspodcast.com or on LinkedIn or wherever, and we'll see you on the next episode. Pick up your copy of the Cyberrants book on Amazon today. And if you're looking to take your cybersecurity program to the next level, visit us online at www.silentsector.com. Join us next time for another edition of the Cyberrants Podcast.